Hello and welcome to the Dispatched Podcast Week in Review for the 25th of November. Paul Cross here, joined by Carol. Hi, Paul. How are you, Carol? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I am looking forward to the weekends. <laughs> Aren't we all? Not that I'm counting, that wishing my life away for the next four weeks, but I'm wishing my life away for the next four weeks. Bring just on to the get, end of the year. Bring on the end of the year, because it has been an interesting year. Uh, we have a combination of things today. We're going to go through the review. We've got three questions that have been submitted by the audience, which are very interesting, but let's start with our own questions. Okay. It's been one year today since the release of the report for the House of Representatives inquiry into approval processes for new medicines and novel medical technologies. That is a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) The report made 31 detailed recommendations with a total of around 100 outcomes, but the government is yet to provide its formal response. What should we make of that? Well, it's not unusual. It was an interesting inquiry. I I do think there was an element of, Feeding the chooks, as they say in politics, is just keeping everyone busy and distracted for a while, which was a, a, a Greek hunt way of, of doing things. But that doesn't take away from the fact that over 200 stakeholders went to the trouble of making submissions, appearing at public hearings, and by and large the inquiry report reflected the body of opinion in those submissions, which we don't normally get in this area of the health system. So I thought that was, that was great. The fact that there's no formal response yet is, is as, I, as I say, not unusual. And probably <laughs> there is an element of the government preparing its response by doing some things. So it will say things like, to some of the recommendations about the need for reform of aspects of health technology assessment, they'll say, well, we've got an HTR review, so it's all good. So they'll say, they'll say things like that. So they will respond to the process by pointing to other processes so the really, really, the onus is on uh, stakeholders who want change to sort of hold the government's feet to the fire on not ignoring this report and what were some pretty critical recommendations. The early signs were not good because, of course, on the 4th of January this year, in the middle of the holiday season, the Department of Health says, oh, by the way, one of the recommendations in that inquiry was the implementation of cost recovery for medical services advisory committee. So on that basis, we're going to proceed with that one. So that was pretty cynical mm. exercise. Labor did take the newborn screening recommendation for essentially a national takeover or national alignment to the election and recently funded that in the budget. So that's a good thing. That's a great thing. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good thing. So that So we do have one positive outcome. So yay for babies, yay but for the babies. rest of you guys are yeah. on your the, own. The rest of you are on your own at this point. So let's let's wait and see. I, I do understand there is a draft response and I don't think people should get too excited about, <laughs> about, about the content from what I've heard. But that, that's largely expected. And with any of these things, it's up to the stakeholders who went to the trouble of making these submissions to hold the government's feet to the fire. Now, now – those stakeholders need to be respected in the government's response. And pointing to other processes or new processes as a response, to me, is not, is not really adequate. So people should, should legitimately have an expectation that we don't get – the government accepts this recommendation in principle. The government accepts this recommendation in principle, but dot, 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 mm. dot, which is generally what a lot of these things happen. So we will wait and see, but, yeah, it is a year and – I don't know whether we – I doubt we'll see it before the end of 2022. Yeah. 
Now, the review of the base case discount rate was released last week. It provided Payback's highly technical view of whether it should be reduced as requested by the industry. What happens now? Nothing. (laughs) So so it was what you expect. If you ask uh, a technical advisory committee for their opinion on a technical input to decision-making, you're going to get a technical response. And and th- and that's what you got. And so I don't think any anyone should be surprised by the nature of the response. It was an odd request. I don't know why. And I've written this this morning that governments and ministers need to stop asking the PBAC for policy advice because they're not constructed or or appropriate to be providing that advice. They're a clinical advisory body, so they shouldn't be providing advice in their own operational guidelines. Frankly, and it was an odd request. If the government wants to involve the PBAC in these sorts of decisions, then it should rightly say, we are contemplating reducing the discount rate. We understand that that could lead to a budget impact and I as minister and the the big G government will deal with that. What I want to know from the PBAC is how will it impact your statutory role in health technology assessment? That's pretty much the limit of what, what they should be asked. They shouldn't be asked whether or not something is a good idea. They should just be asked how are you going to deal with it because I'm proposing to do it. Yeah. So I think there has there has been a development in recent years where ministers have hidden behind this committee uh, for decisions that they should rightly make, particularly ones yeah. that are contentious. And I just don't think it's it's good enough. And people should people should call it out. And frankly, the PBAC should refer those matters back to the minister and say we it's not appropriate. Not for us. our job. It's not our job to be doing this. So uh, thanks, but um, but no, but no thanks. But but governments have got into this bad habit and. Frankly, I think it doesn't help the PBAC's long-term uh, credibility or its or, or, or public confidence in its decisions if it's if it's making or providing this sort of advice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The questions from you guys. Yes, from the audience. Okay. Identities are, of course, protected. Protected. Very <laughs> yeah. protected. Okay. Do you think the Zimmerman report has actually helped the industry and patients at all? Good question. So the Zimmerman references to the House of Representatives inquiry, which we discussed earlier. The inquiry committee was chaired by the former North Sydney MP Trent Zimmerman, who lost his seat at the election. Uh, not yet. No, not not yet. I think it's raised a bunch of issues, uh, and that has been interesting. But the fact, I suppose, the fact that the inquiry report acknowledged a lot of those a lot of those issues is is in a way potentially helpful to patients and and even the industry but in the end stakeholders are going to have to hold the, the government accountable to this as I say people should watch and be very worried that the government response will be accept the recommendation in principle this is why we're conducting an HTA review mm. so you get the feeding the chook sort of response and, yeah. and they just kick it to touch and buy some time. And in the end, hopefully, stakeholders don't accept that. I think it's it's a parliamentary inquiry; it can't be ignored. And ultimately, it, it's up to up to people who made these submissions and believe th- that the outcome should be implemented to 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 advocate for that, even even regardless of what the government says in its response. The HTA Consumer Evidence and Engagement Unit has been around since about twenty nineteen. What has it achieved and how can stakeholders find information on expenditure and outcomes of this unit? Has it been evaluated? Maybe patient groups should be given funding to run an independent evaluation. That's a brilliant idea. 
That's a brilliant idea. This is this is an interesting unit, and I'm going to assume that it's well intentioned. That that it's not a cynical exercise in itself, but but I but I do think there's something problematic about a bureaucracy ex- ex- creating this unit, an HTA consumer evidence and engagement unit. It's sort of Orwellian in its name because it's basically built on the premise that top down. Okay, so if only you understood health technology assessment, then you would understand why we make these decisions and you would accept it. <laughs> your, your advocacy on some of these things just reflects your misunderstanding of what we're doing. Is that, I think there is that, an element of that, that mindset. Quiet and kids, the grown-ups are talking. Yeah, yeah, there's a, you know, the Marie Antoinette. It's quite arrogant and I don't want to be unfair to the individuals because it's an institutional problem. Mm. So, so stop talking down. I think it is a great idea in this question to get some patient groups together and fund them to evaluate this thing and whether it's working because I think having the you know having some bureaucrats with all due respect to them and the consumer representatives on a bunch of technical advisory committees around the table is is interesting but surely it creates an echo chamber about the religion and the god of HTA yeah and as I say, I think sometimes it leads to that mindset where if only people understood, mm. if only people understood what we did, then they, 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 then they wouldn't complain so much and accept it. And, and I, I, don't, I don't like the mindset. So I, I prefer a far, you know, bottom-up Yeah, what, what you were talking about last week with yeah. consultation. Yeah. Well, actual, actual consultation. consultation. Not, not consultation which is designed to inform. Yeah. But consultation which is actually designed – to get feedback. Taking feedback. Taking feedback because there's a lot of consultation processes launched and I don't think many of them are actually about consultation. Which are checkbox. We've consult. Well, how many times? I mean, we saw, we've seen it with the National Medicines Policy Review where stakeholders, their first round of consultation was just ignored mm. and then stakeholders had to blow the process up. Yeah. It shouldn't work that, work that way. So I do think it needs to be opened up. I think it's a great idea to understand how much this thing is costing and what outcomes has delivered and a meeting or a forum is not an outcome. No. Uh, and a consultation process is not an outcome. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a great idea and I think patients patients should push for it and frankly frankly demand demand it including an independent evaluation. Okay, and last question. What did you think of the ABC 730 report on medical devices? Does it give all of our health industries a bad name? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. It's, I think it's hard to justify having company representatives in an operating theatre. Mm. Uh, now, there's a difference of opinion about what role they're performing. So the medical device sector will argue that they're technicians providing advice to surgeons about a prosthesis. Private health insurers will say they're sales reps promoting the the actual device. So it's a kind of a murky area. I suppose in principle you've got to question the independence. So should you have a company representative full stop in an operating theatre or should they be independent technicians providing advice? I, don't, I think it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one but it just there is a sort of element of not passing the smell test on, mm. on, on that. But I don't – I think it's it's that debate and that story was symptomatic of a wider issue going on with with prostheses in Australia and the rolling mess that is attempt the attempt to reform the prostheses list. 
The health insurers and government, I think, believe that privately insured patients are paying too much. The medical device sector says, well, do you want to undermine choice? And that the higher prices reflect additional services they provide. And it's a, it's a pretty fierce debate. The government is trying to impose an incredibly complex reform on this sector, and I think there's more chance of you and I going to the moon, Carolyn, than there is of, <laughs> of that being implemented. And like a lot of reform out of that area of the health department, it sort of starts with all these papers and great grand ideas. They go through this excruciating process, work out that it can't be implemented and just ends with price cuts. Yeah. So I, I just can't see a way out of this conversation at the moment that – that is going to end with a positive reform for a prosthesis list that is, you know, quite an old framework, but is is largely private sector run. So it's going to be interesting. But I do think the pharmaceutical sector, I think the diagnostic sector as well. Everyone needs to look at what's happening in this medical device sector to under look sideways because this is this is how it's all run out of the same area of the bureaucracy. And what they do in one sector, they'll try and stretch across to another. Uh, and this is a very fierce argument. I've heard some stories this week which were quite shocking about some of the conversations between officials in the department and private sector organisations, frankly, conversations that were threatening in nature. And I did recommend to one company that they need to go to a lawyer immediately <laughs> because, <laughs> because it was it was direct attempt to coerce a company. That was simply asserting their lawful their lawful right, and so that is that is another example of what we discussed last week around culture, and hopefully that will be resolved through capability reviews and 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 whatever else. But I do implore people across these health technology sectors, pharmaceuticals, devices, and diagnostics, to really look sideways at what you're all experiencing and start to appreciate there is alignment and that maybe there's an opportunity to work together. And that's why the agenda we're building for our conference in May is very much involving all three. We have our first confirmed speakers at at that event. Yeah, so we've got Carlo Montagna from Specialised Therapeutics and he's got a story to end all stories about his experiences. We've got Pat Williams, who's the boss of Edwards Life Sciences. Now, Pat, that, that company has an amazing heart device heart technology, uh, which is just incredible uh, what, what they've developed and goes to the nature of innovation and how, it, how it's accelerating. So that's, that's really, really exciting. So we'll be announcing some more speakers and we're going to get representatives from across those, all those different sectors to, to talk in the room about their shared experiences. And, and that's going to be in the context of things like health technology assessment reviews and the like. So thank you, Carol. Thank you, Paul. Thank you guys for your questions. That's, keep submitting those questions. We really love getting them. They're getting better and better every week. I really do like the one about the Consumer Evidence Engagement Unit, which only Orwell could have come up with a name like that. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure it's ironically named. But uh, anyway, thank you, Carol. And uh, thanks, everyone. Have a great weekend. And we look forward to speaking to you next week. See you next week, Paul.